Let's kill them all. Hello, my name is Will and this is Exploding Helicopter, the one and only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. In 1990, Iraq evaded its neighbour Kuwait over a dispute about oil production. The following year, under the auspices of the UN, an American-led coalition launched Operation Desert Storm to liberate Kuwait. The short-lived conflict that followed, the Iraqis surrendered 100 hours after the operation began, provides the backdrop of the movie we're looking at on this show. Arriving five years after the end of the conflict, it was the first major studio film to centre on the Gulf War. So our film today is 1996's Courage Under Fire. To help me look at the film, I'm joined by a man who wouldn't think twice about using you as a human shield. He doesn't run from danger because he's too busy waving the white flag of surrender. Joining me once again is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Not too bad. A cheese-eating surrender monkey. I've, I've been known to be called that in the past. You're definitely not somebody I would be uh, looking to as the first line of defence for this country. What? That's a, sc- that's, that's a slur on my manhood. <laughs> now, it's been a while since uh, we did a show, and I, I have to say I've had to work quite hard to pin you down for, uh, to this particular date. And uh, I have to say it's almost as if you're not really interested in exploring the cinema of exploding helicopters, Dara. Well, you know, I'm I'm a very I'm getting busier and busier by the day. Will you know? I've been out of the country, here, there, and everywhere. And I, as as much as I like to help you out with your uh, this innocent pastime, um, I do have other things <laughs> on my plate. Well, what I think people need to hear from you now is uh, a public vow of commitment to this project. <laughs> I will do at least one more exploding helicopter podcast after this one. How's that? I can't say fairer than that. So basically kind of like a rolling contract. Rolling contract, one by one. The next bad film that comes my way could be the last. Well, I think this is going to be an interesting film for uh, us as Exploding Helicopter fans to look at, because I think it poses an important philosophical question about the nature of uh, chopper fireballs. So, Dara, I hope you are ready to uh, ponder the mysteries of our universe with me. I'm going to go deep, deep down. Well, let's not mess around anymore. I think it's time to get stuck into Courage Under Fire. So let's see if Trailer Man can set the scene. Cue the mournful trumpets. A man with questions about his own conduct. Losing a man like your friend Boilar. I've been there. Must now defend the courage of another. The White House has heard that we're considering the Medal of Honor for this chopper pilot who saved a bunch of guys on the down Blackhawk. Naturally, they want it for Veterans Day. Naturally. It's a woman. You didn't know? This is Captain Karen Walden. She's the first woman in history to be nominated for a Medal of Honor for combat. While serving in the Gulf War, a lieutenant colonel played by Denzel Washington accidentally blows up one of the tanks he's commanding, killing the crew. The incident is covered up and Washington is assigned to a desk job investigating whether a female helicopter pilot who was killed in action should become the first woman to receive the Medal of Honor. Washington is under pressure to sign off on the prestigious award by his superiors who are keen to exploit its PR potential. But as Denzel digs into the circumstances, he discovers that the events that took place might not be quite so heroic. Along the way, he also finds himself dogged by a reporter looking into the incident where Washington killed his own soldiers. Courage Under Fire came out in 1996. Uh, Alongside Denzel Washington, the cast includes Meg Ryan, Matt Damon and Lou Diamond Phillips. It was directed by Ed Zwick, who made Legends of the Fall, The Last Samurai and more recently, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. 
The film was very well received by critics. Rolling Stone called it one of the best and gutsiest films of the year, while the San Francisco Chronicle hailed it as an absorbing moral drama. Interestingly, that high rating doesn't seem to be shared by film fans. Courage Under Fire has a 6.6 .6 average rating on IMDb and a 66% audience approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so falling a little bit behind what the critics uh, have rated the film. But uh, Dara, what did you make of uh, Courage Under Fire? I think that's a little bit unfair, those ratings. It's, it's a really well-made film. It's got lots of interesting angles, uh, the nature of war and people's kind of perception of one event can vary depending on their position depending on their um, you know aims i really i really enjoyed this film actually it's very solid enjoyable got a bit schmaltzy towards the end but you kind of expect that from from the americans from the americans mid 90s kind of film i mean i was saying at this time there seemed to be kind of a glut of these kind of courtroom military dramas few good men things like that there was a lot of this stuff going around at the time kind of earnest films i really like the cast i think the cast is fantastic very well thought through uh sort of young matt damon we'll talk about him later on yeah it was the, tw the twin sort of plot lines going at once you know so washington He's some enemy fire. He's killed some of his own men, and he's been investigated. And whilst that's happened, he's also investigating this uh, the Medal of Honor, and you know, seeing his his own personal life unravel as he's as he's investigating this. So yeah, I really really enjoyed it. The chopper fireball in this is pretty poor. I think it's almost like an inverse. Uh, the 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 chopper fireball equation. So the better the film, the worse the fireball, and the worse the film, the better the fireball. I think that is a really interesting question for uh, consideration. So uh, that's definitely something that I think we should pursue in uh, future podcasts, assuming that uh, you are on them. But uh, uh, as for myself, I thought that this was uh, this was a good film. I find it hard to get excited about it, though. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very solid. It's got a good cast. They all do good performances. The story twists and turns quite nicely. And there's a... Uh, engaging personal dilemma for Denzel Washington's character in it so mm -hmm. it has some really good attributes um, as a film but as I say I did find it hard to get really excited about this and it's, it's one of those films that as much as I thought it was very good it's it's a sort of one and done film for me and the it reveals all its qualities on a first watch and it's one of those films that I don't really would ever feel the need to re-watch. Not, not excited, Will. The amount of choppers in this, I, I had a semi through this film. The amount, of, <laughs> the amount of replays of helicopters flying around the sky and crashing from various angles. You know, you know. You're, I think you're a bit jaded in your old age. What's going on? Uh, maybe I am. Maybe I've just watched too many of these films. <laughs> I, I just need, I just need more. I need Michael Bay to make the ultimate sort of helicopter oh, movie. Be, be careful what you ask for. Is all I'm going to say. Now, I think the central theme of this movie is honesty and people's desire for the truth. And conversely, the corrosive effect of lies and dishonesty is what, you know, is shown in this movie uh, alongside that. And uh, that tension is most clear in, in Denzel Washington's character, who is struggling with his complicity in covering up this friendly fire incident. But we also see it with the other characters in this movie. How do you think the film sort of handled those aspects? You know, did you find their responses believable? Yeah, it's very, it's a very good point actually. Very good, um, very good analysis because you see someone like Matt Damon virtually turn into sort of a husk of a man because when he initially is interviewed, he, you know, um, says that Meg Ryan's character was very heroic and basically, as as you got, as he kind of covers up 
I don't want to give too much away, but he covers up what actually happened during that incident and the the part that certain people had to play in it. And as as the film goes on, you know, he starts off quite fresh faced and you know healthy, and by the end, he's, he's kind of drug ravaged. He actually had to, uh, you know, he did a bit of method acting to get into the roles. One of Matt Damon's, I would say, is probably his breakout role where he really got noticed because he loses a ton of weight in this film. By the end, he really does look ill. He looks like a drug addict and he he had really intensive diet during the film. He lost that 40 pounds that ran like 12 miles a day. So it, you, see, you see a visual impact in, you know, keeping these sort of lies inside. And also the same with um, Lou Diamond Phillips, who an 80s stalwart you don't see much of now. Basically, he is driven to suicide because he, you know, he can't keep this secret any longer you know, he's basically done the unspeakable things in war in order to you know stay alive and it's it's, it's not it's not though um it's not that he can't live with the secret it's because the it, for lou diamond phillips's character is that the truth will finally come out about himself isn't it that's what drives him to suicide well, i suppose it's the it's the impact of his of his uh, des- deceit because he's gonna he's basically why they're gonna be mm. Sent to, well, sent to prison. I don't know what they do. They have uh, they have military prisons. Military prisons. So he'll be in there for a very long time. Yeah, I guess he's not such. He's not coming good like Matt Damon eventually does, and so does Denzel Washington's character. He's kind of, I suppose, evidence that the fact that he is a bit of a coward and he's taken the coward's way out by not by not fronting up and just thinking of taking his own life. It's quite dramatic. I've seen some reviews where they think that's a little bit of a uh, I don't know a Hollywood kind of end to a certain plot line him smashing it headfirst into a, a, a train but i found it actually quite dramatic well on lou diamond phillips's uh, suicide that was one bit that slightly puzzled me about this film because i didn't quite understand his motivation for basically telling denzel washington's character that the story of meg ryan's heroism you know i don't know why he basically lou diamond phillips just didn't stick to the story to, to his story yeah because maybe because he was getting badgered so much maybe but what part of you know his version of the story was going to make denzel washington character stop digging if anything he's that was such a radically different version of events that he was you know that would inevitably be pursued well maybe he just it's just shown up for being kind of a bit of a weak-minded person thinking that the lies wouldn't be uncovered and then he as soon as he's confronted by someone who's hot on his trail he just crumbles and tells the truth and you know can't deal with the, the consequences let's also just have a quick chat about denzel washington's character arc in this film because as we've sort of already mentioned he's got these twin dilemmas he's investigating somebody else uh, meg ryan's character who is up for this uh, award for her gallantry in action uh, whilst he himself is under investigation for this incident where he's responsible for uh, a number of people's death and he he feels this need to confess and we see how that the you know how the impact of not being able to tell the truth manifests itself in Denzel's character so we see him sort of turning mm. to to drink but we also mm-hmm. see him become estranged from his wife and family and that was a bit of the film that kind of left me a little bit puzzled. I don't know why he started to cut himself off from his family um, in that way, because, you know, they're not necessarily part of this situation. I don't know why he couldn't have been a little bit more open about what. Uh... Part of the problem was the fact that he was on the road doing all these investigations. So he's away from his family. So he was physically away from his family and emotionally away from them, because obviously he was still keeping this secret. Maybe he felt ashamed 
even to tell his close family about what what had happened. I don't think he you don't see him confide in, in in many people about actually what happened. And he's he wants to tell the family of the his best friend that got got killed, but um he doesn't find the courage and he has to obviously cover it up because the top brass, the military who, but that's another sort of underlying bit that I got from this film that they're basically saying that the, you know, the military role, the politician's role in war is really to keep the party line, cover up the truth, just send out the message that they want to send to either, you know, family members of the deceased or to the general public. That's a big bit that I got from this film about sort of deception in war. Now we should also talk about the film's structure and we learn about Meg Ryan's actions through flashbacks told from the perspective of different survivors. But it's over an hour before we get the the turn in the plot. And we realise that the incident Washington is investigating isn't as straightforward as we've been led to believe up until that point. And I wondered if that was the right moment for that to happen. I, I wondered if that plot turn needed to happen a bit earlier. I don't know if, if you agree with me on that. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was about in the right place. All they had to build up to it, and you are taken a little bit aback by the fact that people's stories in the same instant can vary so differently. I thought it was fine where it was. I mean, this might be the one and only time we mention uh, Kurosawa in the Chopper Five All podcast, <laughs> but they've taken this plot device from the Kurosawa's film Rashomon. And it's been used in various different films. So various characters having subjective but alternate views of the same incident. Um, I, I thought that was the pacing of it. It's done, it done for me at the reasonably at the right time. I didn't feel that I was waiting for it or it was too late. Um, but obviously that I'm, that's different. Differs from your view. Yeah, I mean, I found it an engrossing enough tale, but it just really did strike me uh, as very noticeable that as soon as that plot point came up, I checked what the uh, run point uh, was in in the film because i just thought blimey we're really deep into the film before this is this has come along it it is uh, pretty much comes at the hour mark and this is a this is a two-hour film and uh, you know i guess it's a testament to the skill of the filmmaker that i'm still engaged enough with the film up to that that hour point before actually the most sort of significant plot point is revealed uh yeah i just thought it was very noticeable that it was so deep into the film he has to explain sort of um, mm. Washington's motivations first before he uncovers the second part of the of the film. You know, the main bit that you know takes us to the end. Obviously, Washington is so adamant in getting the truth out because he's himself had to cover up his own lies from from the friendly fire incident. So you're getting the motivations for Washington's character bedded down before you start unraveling the mystery of the actual. Uh, helicopter incident yeah i would agree with that because there is this is a quite a packed film there's a lot in this film because as mm. you as we've we've spoken about you have these two parallel storylines going on there's and there's this story thread with a reporter played by scott glenn which is in the film and i think as you, you're right in saying that uh, ed zwick as a director needs to set all of these things up in order for denzel's character's actions to make sense i do think though that Going back to Denzel Washington's wife and his relationship with his family, I do I do feel his the wife character is a little bit one dimensional. Yeah. And I still I st- as I say I still believe that that part of the film just doesn't isn't as strong as the other areas. And yeah, it's a I, bit weak. Yeah, I think it, it that suffers because he's got to, he's got these other plots that he really they have to work. So I think they get you know understandably they get a little bit more attention than uh, that particular story thread. Yeah, I think that's why probably why it hasn't got such high reviews. It's a little bit flabby in places with all these things going on. 
But um, Courage Under Fire has a really uh, good cast, and there are a lot of big names in this film, and a lot of very recognisable uh, character actors in, in supporting roles. But probably the most interesting one to talk about is is Matt Damon, and this was something of a breakout role for him. And uh, yeah, what did you make of him in this movie? I thought he was brilliant. He was really good. I mean, I you know. Does does Matt Damon get a bad hard time from sort of general film fans? I've always really liked him. I like pretty much all the films he's ever done. He's always watchable. There's always something sort of going on. He's really really good in this. He's obviously trying to make his name for himself in Hollywood. I mean, I, I, re- I read an interview where he was saying that there was a there was quite a few actors in Hollywood, young actors at the time, and he wanted to kind of put his stamp down. I think that's why he did the ultra method acting, losing all the weight, and he was saying basically he wanted to feel the Matt Damon's characters obviously ravaged by guilt and also by drugs in the film because he he basically after the after covering up the the lies about what actually happened he can't he can't handle it and that takes the drugs and he really does look terribly ill when you see him being interviewed for that first time by denzel washington and i, I just uh, i really liked his performance well i thought the most interesting thing about uh, matt damon's performance uh, in this film was uh, that you get to see him with his original teeth um i don't know <laughs> if you noticed them they are basically giant yellow tombstones in his mouth i, I haven't really looked at in, in great detail into his dental records is that what he's so he had his teeth done did he when he's like, definitely like, had oh. his teeth done uh, well, it's not, yeah, everyone in hollywood had their teeth done it's a it's a depressing you know as an englishman <laughs> with you know with we're good with bad teeth. Our American friends, you know, you can't walk out with bad teeth in America. You would be a pariah. So everyone, everyone has to have, you know, these like Crooked, ultra white gnashes. Yeah. Badly stained. Yeah. yeah. We don't give a shit in England. You know, this is this is where it is. We are what we are. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, have a look at uh, some of the other actors uh, in this film. And there was one actor who immediately jumped out at me. I, I'd be interested to know if uh, you picked up on him as well, Dara. But... Uh, Bronson uh, Pinchot, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a man close to my... Any fans of the 80s films or 80s TV, this is, a, this is a man who should be close to their heart. I think he played... Was it, was it Balky in Perfect Strangers? I he was Balky in The Legendary Perfect Strangers. Yeah, what, what nationality was Balky, do you reckon? Um, he was a made-up uh, made nationality. Ah. Um, so he, I think he was meant to be from somewhere sort of in the Mediterranean. That was the, that was the okay. idea. But it was a made-up country. Okay, like a, a Greek Mediterranean. Yes. We talking about like yeah. okay, okay, yeah. So he was amazing in that. Obviously, <laughs> people will know him as um uh Serge, Serge Axwell, Axwell in uh, in the uh, Beverly Hills Cop films. A great character actor. He kind of tones it down in this one. Mm. He could he could have. I, I was a bit disappointed he didn't have an accent because pretty much every film he's in, <laughs> he's got an accent. He is just playing it, it reasonably straight as a kind of slimy eighties White House exec. So I was a little bit disappointed that he wasn't ridiculously outrageous because that's what I'm used to. Have, has he been in anything lately, Will? You you, you keep up to date with what uh, these 80s actors are doing. Yeah, he's doing a lot of television stuff at the moment. So okay. he, he's getting steady employment. But yeah, he's drifted out of the movie world and uh, seems to be mostly in uh, in TV series these days. But um, I did... Does he still look good? Does he still look as good as he does did before? He's he's aging well. He's aging yeah, well. Fine. He had a fine head of hair. He uh, he certainly did. It's a little it's a little thinner. It's not quite okay. as uh, dark now, but uh, he still looks you know recognisably as uh, as the sort of the the figure we came to to love in the eighties. But okay, uh, good I hate to uh, I hate to break this to you, Dara. But uh, as part of the sort of the research for this, I went back and 
watched uh, a little bit of a uh, a few episodes of Perfect Strangers. <laughs> don't, ha- don't don't apologize to me. This is this is it's music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, but I've got bad news for you. Oh, it's, it's bad, is it? It's not dated well. Oh no. I don't know what on earth I you know I was I was much younger in those. Yeah, days. I love that program. What <laughs> what what did, what hasn't dated? It's just it's just really laboured stereotypical American sitcom type. Is thing. it is it racist and sexist? Because I'm fine with that. I think it gets away with it because he's from a made up country, and obviously the the premise of the the premise or kind of the the central part of the comedy of the program is that um, supposedly I can't remember the the guys sharing um, yeah. a flat with is supposed to be sort of teaching Balky about America and yeah. sort of how to you know get around sort of socially, but obviously it's Balky that ends up having to get him out of particular situations or that he finds himself in. So okay. I, I, I think that the fact that um, Balki is sort of saving the day in many respects, he's, you do laugh, you know, there are obviously jokes at him, but you're also laughing with him a lot of the time. So I, I don't, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, something that needs to be sort of consigned to some sort of toxic cultural dustbin. Well, it's not, it's not, you don't ever see it repeated. So maybe that means it was bad to begin with. Was there a, was there anyone else in the cast that uh, caught your eye that you wanted to mention? A couple of people that are you know faces uh, ring a bell. Ken Jenkins from Scrubs, who plays the kind of mad leader of the uh, the mad sort of chief doctor in Scrubs. He's in it. Doesn't have a big role in it, but it's always nice to see him. Uh, you've got Gabriel Stokes from The Walking Dead and The Wire, and obviously Lou Diamond Phillips, another eighties you know this legend. Is a, the 80s legend and the site the probably the highlight of the film for me was lou diamond phillips in a jock strap <laughs> howling himself down in the changing room whilst being interviewed it's so 80s uh that i enjoyed that quite quite more than i should do in fact yeah i mean he's pretty buff and ripped, he's, he's good he? nick yeah now will because so, i like to uh it's a game i like to play sometimes when i, when I see an 80s film <laughs> I, I like to use Wikipedia and just check out what these people are doing mm. uh, now. You know, like the guy in Soul Man. Now, what's he doing now? A lot of them just either dis- like Rick Moranis just disappear and look after families. But have you seen Lou Diamond Phillips in anything lately? I have, yes. So what's he, he in? he's in a TV series called Longmire, right? Uh, which is actually a quite a quite a decent TV series. It's basically a detective type series. Okay. But uh, yeah, that's okay. I've seen him in recently. All right. Well, you know, it's good. It makes me feel kind of what gives me a nice warm feeling inside when I see that these these actors still have employment. They're still able to pay the mortgage. I think, yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely paying the bills. Okay, that's good. Now, this was Hollywood's first major film dealing with the Gulf War, and it kind of came along about five years after the conflict ended. And um, that's very different to what we saw during World War Two or the Korean War, where films were made contemporaneously. And certainly, um, you know, continue to be made in the immediate aftermath. But sort of since Vietnam, there seems to now always be a pause before we start seeing films made um, about particular conflicts. And um, yeah, I sort of wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought might lie behind that. I have to be honest, I'm not that familiar with the films 
that were made around World War Two. But my kind of view on, you know, films that are made these days about Gulf War and about invasion of Iraq, Afghanistan, and there is a lot of nuances and there's, a you know, agendas that kind of slowly percolate out. And for other facts to emerge, for a different story to be told about a film, probably takes a little bit of time for that to happen. Maybe the films back in the day were a little bit, uh, they weren't so nuanced. It's very kind of chest pounding, you know, more going sort of propaganda, a bit more yeah. jingoistic. Yeah. Whereas now, most of the war films you see tend to be sort of critiques on war and why we went to war for like wrong reasons. Many, you know, there's a lot of truth to these films that get made. You know, there's always a sort of other agendas. I'm sure there was always other agendas, but now they're kind of you know, coming to the fore a little bit more. So it might be that's the reason why films don't get made in such a quick fashion uh, about war. Okay, I reckon it's time we get down to the serious business of talking about the exploding helicopter action in this film. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Don't touch that doll, we'll be right back. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you. Because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great fits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. We're back, and now we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs during one of the flashbacks that happen as Denzel interviews different survivors. We pick up the action with Meg Ryan flying a team of medics in to rescue the survivors of a downed helicopter. The soldiers below are pinned down by the wreckage of their chopper by advancing Iraqi soldiers. The troops are supported by a tank which fires off an artillery shell which hits the wrecked chopper, causing it to explode. Dara, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? As I mentioned before, whilst the film is pretty good, the helicopter uh, action, the helicopters in the film are plentiful. The explosions are poor, really poor. There's ample opportunities for some sort of mega set piece. And the, you know, I, I don't like to give too much about the secrets of uh, podcast making away to our listeners. But before the start of this podcast, I did actually have to go away and watch it quickly uh, again <laughs> because I missed the only exploding helicopter in the film. I thought it was actually another scene where a helicopter kind of goes down and they don't actually show it fully explode. And I was kind of thinking, why, why is Will doing this film? That This helicopter's not actually uh, exploded. And it was actually uh, the helicopter that does explode is actually a wreck, which, you know, we get a brief image of the down chopper with the four soldiers who Denzel's investigating what's going on. They are attacked by Iraqi soldiers and the tank actually shoots another missile at the wreckage of their plane and it blows up again. And, you know, can you blow up a helicopter a second time? Well, uh, this is the question I feel that we need to answer on this particular show, because I think it's an important point, you know, going forward, if we're going to continue to uh, catalogue the world of exploding helicopters, I think this is one that we, we need to come to a definitive opinion on, because I think the fundamental question is, are you seeing the helicopter explode or are you just seeing the munition explode? I think you're just seeing the munition explode because it was a it was a black sort of wreck already. What is there to blow up? You can't blow up black metal. I I think you're just seeing I just think you're seeing a shell explode. 
but you're you're seeing a helicopter with it kind of probably destroy itself a little bit more so i think for the purposes of our podcast it just about qualifies well i would be inclined to agree with you uh not least because we've already spent um you know uh <laughs> best part of half an hour talking about this wasting film. our lives <laughs> So um, we're going to be uh, we're not going to be aborting this podcast uh, at this late stage. So uh, we're, we're counting it. God damn it. But uh, we're committed now. We're, 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 we're fully committed. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think it, it I think it, it needs to count for for that reason, if uh, if no other. But um, this I would agree with you. This is not the uh, world's greatest uh, exploding helicopter. It's yeah, it's it's far, far too brief. Going back to uh, a point that you were making uh, earlier, but uh, there's some very good helicopter action. Um, in this film and I actually enjoyed some of that more than I enjoyed enjoyed the exploding helicopter so uh, the the scene where Meg Ryan's helicopter gets damaged and starts uh, spiraling towards the ground I really enjoyed that because they're, mm, they're that giving was... out they're giving out the mayday over the radio there's yeah. an alarm going off there's quite uh, a lot of tension are they yeah. going to go down are they not going to go down that's quite good that could have ended with a nice exploding helicopter and it just passed by a mountain and you just sort of slide on the sand really poor <laughs> really really poor well i think you have already mentioned another important point that we need to continue to to monitor which is the relationship between the quality of the film and the quality of the exploding helicopter and uh, i don't know if you can cast your mind back to to some of the other films we've maybe done in review on the podcast or maybe on the website where that might evidence this view i mean have we seen a really good film with a really good exploding helicopter I'm just trying to think. I really like Die Hard as a film. One of my favourite films. The helicopter in that is is it's it's not bad. It's not amazing, is it? No, it's not amazing. Just trying to think. Amazing. So we watched Austin Powers recently. That was quite. That was a really good exploding helicopter, but the film was terrible. Yep. Uh, so that's evidence was... of this inverse relationship. So that's. This is what I'm saying. So, so yeah, so, maybe yeah, backing up my argument really. Mm. Maybe maybe our listeners can uh, you know c- come back to us and advise tell us of a of a film that's not only great but has an expo- great exploding helicopter. I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, I mean I know I'm a self-proclaimed expert on exploding helicopters, but unfortunately my ailing mental faculties mean I'm f- I'm really struggling to to think <laughs> of 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 films which are good and that have good exploding helicopters in. I can't. Any, uh, what about Predator? That's Predator's a great <sighs> film. It's a great but... film, but it's not. I mean, it's not, not a bad. Expert. It's not a great exploding helicopter. No, it's, it's not. It's serviceable. Serviceable. It's enjoyable. <sighs> I don't know. I can't think. I think, I think you're. I think you're onto something. I think. I think we might have got it. This is might. This might be the. You know, the way that we we choose films in future. Yeah, but you don't like doing the bad ones, though. I don't. It's true. I mean, so are that... you willing to sacrifice ever seeing a good exploding helicopter, but to only watch good films? Oh, it's, this is a this is probably my life's conundrum, Will. This could, <laughs> my life could go in different different. This could be this is the sliding doors of the helicopter yeah. world. Are you going to take the blue pill or the red pill? Oh, I can't. This is not a decision I can make over the airwaves. I really need, I need a night to sleep <laughs> on it. I have to let you know. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you ponder that question, Dara, because uh, I think it's time to pin a medal on the chest of this podcast and declare this broadcast over. Dara, thanks for coming on the show once again. Been great serving with you, Will. <laughs> Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website for old school written and witty reviews of films with explosions uh, of the helicopter variety in them. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. You know, we're on the internet. Just like 
find us for God's sake. Uh, we'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. I'm fine. My name is Serge, and how can I help you? Um, yeah, I'm looking for Miss Jenny Summers. It's very busy today. Maybe you give me your name? My name is Axel Foley. And uh, what is pertaining? I didn't understand what you said pertaining, what it's meaning, regarding. Oh, what's it regarding? I'm an old acquaintance of hers. Donay, one moment. Donay, when tell me Summers that uh, Mr. Ahmed Foley is here to no, see Axel Foley. Axel. Ahmed, Ahwell. Axel. Foley is here to see her. These are old acquaintances. Donay, this is covered this up. It's I'm like sorry. the breast of a dog to scrub for the customer. It's not sexy, it's animal. No, it's not sexy at all. May I offer you something to drink? A wine, a cocktail, a, a espresso? No, I'm fine, thank you. I'll make it myself right back there with a little lemon twist. It's good, just try it. No, I'm, I'm fine.